0: On the virtual Bible study tonight, can you hear me, Kyle? You can't. On the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to talk about the theory of premillennialism.
1: Yeah, and that may be sound like a foreign topic to a lot of our listeners, but uh, hopefully, we'll be able to explain what we mean. And I, I think you'll realize that this is a really popular view in the religious world that is not true. All right, we're going to get started on this important discussion. We're going to start right
0: now.
2: 831 Four five six seven, Or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study.
0: And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, September 16th, 2021. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Hey, Jacob. Great to be with yeah, you Yeah, you're feverishly typing over there. I'm going to give you a minute. And, Kyle, welcome to the program tonight. It's good to be here. Yeah, glad you. that you're here, Kyle. Um, and uh, looking forward to that. I mean, Kyle, you got any housekeeping? Or anything you want to tell us while we're waiting on, on him to get this settled out? Uh,
2: uh, well, no, it's. Uh, no, which aside from our later, <clears throat> i can go ahead to do our uh, College View Live stream right now. Which says, now let's do you know, that now.
0: Well, that'll free us up at yeah, the bottom of the
2: hour. Which, uh, which yeah, College View Livestream. We have some really good studies on there and some good Bible studies and some good preaching from uh, Greg and our other uh, really good preachers from this last week on there. So, yeah.
0: That's Not to mention good the good production games. quality. Yeah, Kyle uh, does a great
1: uh, job on College U live stream. <laughs> Check out all the archives there. And yeah. then, of course, you can live stream during our live services, but you can catch all the old archives there, too. So are you all set uh, up I think, there? I think we're finally set. We're going to have to do a little bit of a job of getting things going. We've been, we've been yeah, two weeks in a row two weeks a late, on the, late on the take-up, yeah. but we got it going now. We have a special guest with us tonight on the phone. Now, his name should be familiar to our listeners, and actually, he has joined us in the past on the Virtual Bible Study. Our friend Kent Bailey from Calhoun, Georgia, is on the line. Kent, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. I hope he's hearing us. I hope he can hear us. Hello, Kent. Kent,
0: can you hear us? How about it, Kent? Can you hear us? Yes. Welcome to the Virtual Bible Study, Kent.
1: Thank you. Good. Glad
0: to be with you guys. I'm going
1: to have to crank him up there. I, I don't know. I'm not,
0: I'm, things uh, are awful dim barely, in my ears. I'm, I'm barely tonight. hearing him, too. All right, there we go. Uh, we'll so turn maybe ahead.
1: in the chat room, you all who are in the chat room, let us know if you're hearing Kent clearly. We can hear. Him. Okay. So, Clint, uh, uh, Kent and I have talked in recent times past. He's been doing a lot of study on the theory of premillennialism. And we thought it would be a good topic for discussion on the Virgil Bible study. We have touched on it in the past, but uh, it's been a good while in the past. And this is a very popular religious view. Uh, Kent, I I would argue that probably the vast majority of the denominational world around us probably believes premillennialism.
0: Yikes, he's not hearing us. Kent, you can't hear us, huh? Wiggle that connection. I can't
3: hear you much now. Okay. Well, we're going to work it just, on this. it. It come, comes and goes.
0: All right. Let's do this. Let's do it like this. How about how about now, Kent? Okay. I
3: hear
1: you now. All right. Okay. Go ahead. All right. So I was saying, Kent, that I think that the vast majority of our religious friends probably, if they, if they have a position on this, probably believe in the notion of premillennialism.
0: Ah. <sighs> Not going to work. We're going to have to we'll have to get a little other connection going here. All right, um, and I think uh, that is the case. Why don't we uh, Why don't we take a quick break, um, and then uh, we'll we'll see if we can't get Ken on a better connection, and we'll take, take up the discussion there. In the interim, uh, why don't you uh,
1: give us a, a quick outline of what we
0: need to talk about tonight?
1: Okay, so earlier to our update list today, we sent out these questions, and it actually comes from a an outline put together for us. Uh, we ask these questions to our update list, and we always tell you, if you're not on our update list, get on it by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to your list. Usually about midday on Thursday, we send out uh, what our topic is going to be and some leading questions that we hope to discuss. So these are the questions we sent out earlier today. Number one, explain the basic premises of the theory of premillennialism. Number two, have the promises God made to Abraham been fulfilled? Uh, specifically, have the land promises to Israel been fulfilled? And I think we'll see why that's an important question to address as we get into our discussion. Number three, concerning the Messianic kingdom that was promised, when was it to be established? Was it to be a physical or spiritual kingdom? And is it now in existence or is it still a future kingdom? Number four, uh, will the Lord return first for his saints and then later return to defeat evil and establish his earthly kingdom? And finally, if the Lord's kingdom was postponed due to the Jews' rejection of Jesus in the first century, when was this postponement announced, and what are the specifics of this so-called postponement plan?
0: All right. We're going to to do a little something on the fly here. Uh, I'm going to give Kent one more time. Kent, uh, can you hear us now? I can hear coming and going. All right. uh, We're going to go old-fashioned here, and we're going speakerphone. And uh, we're going to set him up here like this, and we're going to do like that. And,
1: uh, talk to us now, Kent. Tell us.
3: It's better. You're still kind of fading in and fading out at times, but it's better on that way. All right. Right. You
0: sound better on our end. That's what we're going to have to do, boy. <laughs> that's old that's school a, there.
1: That's redneck right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, go ahead. All right, so Kent, l- let's talk about... Just to make sure all of our listeners understand what we mean when we talk about the theory of premillennialism, uh, how, how does it lay out? What, what are the basic concepts or the basic premises upon which the theory of premillennialism is based?
3: Well, you have to define it, first of all. And in a very non-technical way, when we use the word the prefix pre, of course that means before, Millennial speaks with reference to the alleged 1,000-year millennial reign. And ism means that it's false. It's not true. (laughs)
0: And,
3: And basically the doctrine, which is a false doctrine, teaches and affirms that the Old Testament prophecies concerning Christ and his kingdom have not been fulfilled and thus the kingdom has not been established. And they teach that it will be established in the future. In fact, they teach that uh, it was the Lord's intent to establish the kingdom during the first century. But the Bible tells us in John chapter 1 and verse 11, When Christ came, he came to his own, and his own received him not. And they say because the Jews rejected Jesus, that kept him from establishing his kingdom. And so uh, they take the view in a very literal way. They take the position. That the kingdom prophecies refers to the Lord establishing an earthly political kingdom. And in the future, he's going to reign as a king over that earthly political nation or kingdom. They also teach the position that the promises of God made to Abraham have not been fulfilled and that such promises must be fulfilled in order for Christ to come again. They teach what's called a secret rapture of the saints. They say the Lord's final coming, second coming, is actually going to take place in two stages. That the first stage is going to uh, culminate in a secret rapture of the saints. And during that time, the saints are raptured out. The saved people are raptured out. There's going to be seven years, three and a half years of peace and three and a half years of tribulation. And at the end of this seven-year period, the Lord's going to come in his second stage in his glory to defeat his enemies and to establish a political kingdom. And then they go ahead and they teach that this kingdom uh, is going to be set up, that Christ is going to reign as a head of a national government from Jerusalem. And during this time, the Old Testament law is going to be introduced. Animal sacrifices are going to be reconstituted they teach that the lord's going to reign over this political kingdom for a literal one thousand year period and at the conclusion of this period uh satan's going to be released when he was uh, bound up with a chain for this thousand years he's going to create another rebellion against god christ will defeat him all the unrighteous dead will be raised up and face final judgment uh, and then all individuals be their eternal roles either in heaven or hell. So kind of in a nutshell, in essence, that's what premillennialism teaches.
1: So the idea, as you have described, is that certainly very, very bottom line is the Lord is coming to establish an earthly kingdom wherein he will reign for a thousand years here on earth. I mean, there's, and I, I think you would agree with me, Kent, that there's almost as many different twists and turns and different little nuances there are almost as many when it comes to premillennialism as there are people who believe in premillennialism uh, that's
3: true that's exactly
1: right uh, and but but the basic bottom line is god made promises back to abraham that that of course generationally passed on they passed on to abraham isaac jacob ultimately to the Israelites, uh, but that God, that the promises that God made have never been fully fulfilled. God can't lie. He's got to keep his promises. And so in order for him to keep his promises, there has to be, there has to be a point in the future time when a, when a earthly kingdom will be established. And that, and, and so Jesus is going to do that. Now, as you said, the millennium, obviously a millennium is a thousand years. There's your thousand years. Premillennialism suggests, as you just described, that this is going to transpire before the ultimate final judgment and eternal assignment of souls to heaven or hell. Uh, it it, it the, the argument hinges strongly on the idea that Jesus actually wasn't able to accomplish what he intended to accomplish when he came here in the first century that he would have established this kingdom at that time but the Jews rejected him he sort of had to retreat and and the church was put in as and very often we use the expression a stopgap measure the church was the church was established to sort of hold place in time Until Jesus can come back again, this time to be ultimately victorious. I can't, to me, that whole idea that mortal men could thwart the plans and intentions of eternal God is, is, I don't know any word to use more than just, that's blasphemy.
3: I think so. I think you're exactly right. In fact, when we look at the earthly ministry of Christ, the Jews wanted an earthly kingdom to be established. That's what they really were wanting. Yeah. And they rejected him because they understood he was saying he wasn't going to establish an earthly kingdom.
1: Yeah, in John chapter 6, verse 15 when Jesus perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So uh, 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 in the, in the midst of his great popularity, he could sense that they're going to make an effort to try and make me an an earthly king. And, and he, he took measures to avoid that happening. Uh, So I, you know, the fact of the matter is Jesus was immensely popular with the Jewish people. It was a, it was a small percentage of the, Jew, the, the ruling class of the Jews that hated him because he was threatening their power base. Jesus was rejected by the Jewish ruling class, but he was immensely popular uh, among the masses of the Jews.
3: Yes, he was. And you know the thing, Greg, that really, uh, I guess you might say, really blows my mind, when you think about the triumphal entry he made in Jerusalem just before his crucifixion and the people really were welcoming him there they really they were glad that he was there but when it became very clear that he was going, not going to establish an earthly kingdom the same people who were crying out praises to God and hosanna to God because of Christ they were the ones who were crying out for his crucifixion when he appeared before Pontius Pilate
1: yeah yeah. So he was a, he was a disappointment because they, they had this expectation of an earthly kingdom and, and, and Jesus' plan did not include that that wasn't what he came to do. And so, again, this whole idea that the Jews rejected him and he failed is just wrong and blasphemous. Uh, you, you mentioned something, uh, as a part of this. Uh, and we're going to get to some details here in a minute. But you mentioned something as a part of this overall premillennial picture, talking about a rapture. Uh, the, the idea is that at some point, and a lot of people think it's going to happen real soon. We, you know, but they they can't put their finger on a time date for sure. But at some point in the future, probably pretty soon, the Lord is going to catch away all the righteous people from the earth. There's going to be a rapture. The the righteous will be called up to be with the Lord. Uh, and of course, all the good people are going to be gone. And so it's only going to leave the wicked people here on earth. And, and for a period of seven years, there'll be tribulation, as you said, sort of two parts to that, but ultimately there's going to be bad times on earth for, and at the end of that seven year period, the Lord will return and set up his earthly kingdom. Uh, this rapture idea is a part of the premillennial picture. It was actually popularized in a series of books and movies made from the books called the Left Behind series. Uh, our friend Mohan up in Chicago said the basic premise of the theory of premillennialism is found in a series of books left behind. It states that there is a rapture of the believers and the rest of the people are left on earth with some having the chance of becoming saved during the thousand year reign of Christ on earth after the thousand year reign the final judgment occurs uh, and so moan is right that the left behind series does play upon this idea of the, of premillennialism and specifically the idea of a a rapture that will precede Jesus coming And setting up his earthly kingdom. So there's just a lot of twists and turns here to it. But what we want to do, Ken, we're going to take a break here real quick. But what we want to do is we want to attack the idea, first of all, that God's promises to Abraham and to the Israelites We want we want to prove that the fact he has fulfilled those promises and and they don't stand out there as something that still has to be done in the future. Uh, So when we come back from this break, we'll we'll tackle that part of this subject. All right, we'll uh We'll get into that
0: on the other side of the break. We'd like your comments. Send them in now in the chat room. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this
2: these guys are doing all of the talking we need to hear from you call in now the virtual bible study continues right after this
0: here's a quick thought let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O lord my strength and redeemer psalm 19 verse 14 the psalmist prays that his words and his thoughts Be acceptable in God's sight. May we do the same as we seek to please God. Think about it.
1: Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. The fellow who does things that count doesn't usually stop to count them. Accomplishment is easiest when we work the hardest, and it is the hardest when we work the easiest. Spend your life for something which will outlast it. Man, wish I'd said that.
2: Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program.
0: We're back on the program tonight. Uh, Glad to have Kent Bailey joining us from uh, Calhoun, Georgia. On somewhat of a shady connection tonight. Uh, Not much more advanced than the old string and with the two cans on it. So make sure you're pulling your side of the uh, string pretty tight there, Kent. We can keep hearing you. um, Talking about premillennialism and um, and, uh, what uh, the common belief is in that and uh, the error with it. Uh, And so we're looking forward to uh, more on this important discussion.
1: So, Kent... uh we I, I think all agree that God made important promises to Abraham going all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 where he called Abraham from his homeland and told him to go to a, to a place that he would be shown. We often talk about the threefold promises made to Abraham. First of all, that his descendants would become a great nation. Secondly, that they would inherit a land, a, a, a land promise. And thirdly, that through his seed, all nations of the earth would be blessed. Now, talk to us uh, about the fulfillment of those promises to Abraham, uh, Kent.
3: Okay, as far as the land promise is concerned, we find that Moses develops that record considerably more over in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 15 through 68. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 15, you'll find that these land promises were given unconditionally. There wasn't any conditions attached to the promise where these Jewish people would receive the land promised to them. However, when you read Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15 through 68, there were conditions that they had to meet to retain that land. And then when we look at other Old Testament passages, we'll find such as Joshua chapter 21 verses 43 through 45 that they did receive the land. I'd like to encourage our listeners, uh, to turn with me right now over to the book of Joshua chapter 21 and we'll let me get turned over here very hurriedly and we'll look at verses 43. Through 45, and notice what the text states. He says, And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers. And they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest around about according to all that he sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. And the Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. And verse 45 is a very crucial verse. As we discuss this concept of premillennialism and the land promise, there failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. Yeah. I and think I, it, I might emphasize that all came to pass tonight.
1: Yeah. I, I, if, if our listeners, if. If you don't have that underlined in your text, you need to do that because that really strikes a serious blow to this notion of premillennialism because, as we said, premillennialism is based on a premise that there are promises, specifically land promises that God made to the Israelites that have never been fulfilled, and and since God can't lie and he has to fulfill his promises, that's going to have to happen at some future time. Well, that's just not true. It's patently not true. It's very plain in that passage that Kent just read So again, if you don't have that written down, if you don't have that highlighted in your in your in your Bible, do that now. Joshua twenty one forty three through forty five, especially verse forty five. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken into the house of Israel. All came to pass. Uh, that, that's pretty specific. Now. The other, the other couple aspects of those promises to Abraham, Kent, we, first of all, the Israelites did become a numerous people. They became a, a great nation. Uh, uh, especially under the reign of King David and King Solomon. I don't know, I don't know how you measure such things, but it's quite possible that the Israelites were the wealthiest and most powerful nation on earth. During that during that period of time, they certainly were a great nation. And under Solomon, an extremely wealthy nation. Uh, and so I don't know how anyone could argue that the nation promise stands unfulfilled. They definitely became a great nation. And then, again, the third part, so land, nation, the third part, the seed promise, fulfilled in Jesus through thy seed he said to abraham that through his seed singular all nations of the earth would be blessed jesus is a descendant of abraham and through jesus all nations of the earth have been blessed all have been made uh, fit subjects for salvation through christ jesus i, I mean what part of that uh, you know stands unfulfilled
3: you know, Greg, when an inspired apostle states that Old Testament prophecy has been fulfilled, not only does that take that out of the realm of controversy, it even takes it out of the realm of conversation almost. Yeah. And, you know, you go to the book of Galatians in the third chapter, and that's exactly what the apostle Paul writes those Christians over in Galatia, how the seed promise... It's fulfilled and it's fulfilled in Christ. Yeah. Galatians chapter three, notice verses 16 through 19. And here Paul writes these words. He says, now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made, he saith not And the seeds as of many, but as of one and thy seed, which is Christ. In verse 17, this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot be disannulled, and that it should make the promise of none effect, for if the inheritance be of the law, it is of no more promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore? Then serveth the law. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise is made and was ordained by angels in the hand of the mediator. So Christ is the fulfillment of that seed promise when he became incarnate in human flesh and when he came to this world to accomplish the will of his father God.
1: Especially there. Exactly right. Kent, especially there in Galatians three nineteen, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and contextually he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the seed promise. And so, again, I, I think without without any doubt or controversy, we have to say that the promises made have been fulfilled. It's been my experience. I don't know if you've had the same experience, Kim, but it's been my experience that those who hold to this theory of premillennialism really try to hang their hat on that land promise, that the land hasn't been fulfilled. But again, I, Yes,
3: you're exactly right. And that's in my studies with people, especially those either of the Pentecostal background of the Seventh-day Adventists and the Baptist movements, various Baptist, conservative Baptist movements, they hang their head on that, that one promise.
1: Yeah. And so again, I think we've shown that that has happened. Uh, and, and, and therefore that to me knocks the props out from under the whole theory. I mean, I think the theory crumbles when you show that there there isn't anything left over from the Old Testament that that God promised that he uh, to the to the descendants of Abraham that he hasn't fulfilled it to them. It's clear that he has. Uh, how are we doing on time, Jacob? We uh, we can grab another break here. When we come back from this break, Kent, let's talk about what was the what was planned. What about this messianic kingdom, this promised kingdom of the Messiah? What what was promised anyway about time, uh, about the nature of it? And really, are we still waiting to see it? We'll talk about that when we come back from this break. Brian in California sends in a comment in
0: the chat room. I believe intertwined in the premillennial dogma is the divine restoration of the nation state of Israel. With that in mind, how best to place in context, explain, he says, Romans chapter 11, verse 26, when it mentions all Israel will be saved. Romans 11, verse 26 says, So all Israel shall be saved. That is, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Um, how how do you answer that idea, uh, Kent, there in Romans 11, verse 26? It says, All Israel will be saved. In other words, interpreting that to mean that the nation state of Israel is going to be restored and all of the nation of Israel will be saved?
3: Well, I would point out, excuse me, I would point out if we read Romans chapter 11 very carefully, there's the word so in there, and so all Israel shall be saved. And when you understand the nature of the meaning of the word so, it's an adverb of time. And really he's talking about the manner in which Israel would be saved. And when you look at the context of Romans chapter 11, what he's saying was that those of Israel who will be saved, and that's what is considered all of Israel—not every single person, but all of Israel that will be saved, will be saved in the very same manner that the Gentiles were saved. And How talk, were the Gentiles saved? Uh, By obeying the gospel.
0: Well, and also it uses the imagery of there of a tree, and and the dead wood or the wood that doesn't have belief, doesn't have faith, is going to be cut out. And the Gentiles are going to be grafted in and thus become the chosen of God, the Israel of the New Testament era. And therefore, all of Israel will be saved through faith, not because they're part of the Old Testament right. nation of exactly. Israel, but because they are the faithful
1: yeah. of God today. Uh, in, in verse, this is Romans 11, uh, it says, Blindness in part has happened to Israel until, some, some newer versions say, while, the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So Israel, Israel has been blinded while the fullness of the Gentiles shall come in. And so, or as you said, Kent, in like manner or in the same manner, all Israel shall be saved. For it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So, in other words, many of Israel have been blinded. The the, the kingdom had been opened to the Gentiles and and then there would be Jews who would be saved but they'd be saved in the same manner or in the same way that the gentiles are be saved by faith in Christ Jesus.
3: Okay, that's exactly right.
1: All right. All right, All right let's we'll get go... a break. Get this week's bullet point. We'll come back. We'll continue
0: with Ken as we talk about this uh, this doctrine compare it with what the scriptures teach. And I think we're seeing here that they're they're taking some things severely out of context, maybe using some scriptural terminology but misapplying it. And that's a very uh, effective ploy of the devil to put some things in here that sound scriptural, sound right, but misapply them and come up with some very false conclusions. We'll continue talking about that. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Now you can listen to
2: a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages.
1: This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Paul's final words to the elders of the church at Ephesus included this statement, quote, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Acts 20, verses 26 and 27. His conscience was clear. He had no regrets about his work there. If any were lost, it would not be because they had not been taught, encouraged, and warned by the apostle. He had done his work well. He knew that he had not failed to teach them on every necessary subject. Many preachers of the modern day could not make the same claim. They shy away from preaching on many essential themes, citing them as too controversial or too negative. Instead, they present a steady diet of positive sermons aimed at making their hearers feel good about themselves. While we all need to hear the positive truths of God's word that reassure us of his love, grace, and mercy, we also need to be warned of the terror of the Lord, as mentioned in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. If error is not exposed and if sin is not rebuked, how will necessary repentance be produced? Luke 13, verse 3. Those who have not been taught, quote, all the counsel of God, unquote, will be ripe for apostasy. Young people will grow into adulthood without a firm foundation in the gospel. Even those who are older will begin to forget the needed admonitions of the scripture. Any slight challenge will be too much for their fragile faith, and they will leave the church, oftentimes not even realizing the seriousness of their spiritual condition. In too many congregations, it's been years since lessons have been taught on instrumental music, the role of women, marriage, divorce, remarriage, and so forth. With little or no teaching on these essential subjects, they become ever more vulnerable to false teaching and departures from the faith. Brethren, we cannot afford to soft-pedal the truth. Let us declare, quote, all the counsel of God. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Dwight Bolvet.
2: And I'm Michelle Bolvet. And we're from Ames, Iowa.
0: We listen to the virtual Bible study every week, and we invite you to do the same.
2: And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him.
0: Colossians three seventeen. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight. I remind you, this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com. You don't have to check out the YouTube live stream because you got that at the start of the program, but you might want to check it out after the program is over uh, a lot
1: of there's a lot of archives at collegeview.com. There's a tremendous number of past programs. All of our past programs in audio format are available on the Virtual Bible Study. Sixteen years worth So there's a, a big resource of material there. Probably if you, if you're studying a specific subject, you might find, you can and will certainly find some reference to the, all, all those kind of subjects on, on one of those two websites. All right. Check it
0: out. And uh, we're glad to have Kent, uh, joining us, uh, from Calhoun, Georgia, Kent Bailey. And, uh, we're talking about this uh, doctrine of premillennialism and, uh, Rick is in the chat room and rick says when the kingdom was established Dan- uh, when the kingdom was established daniel prophesied in uh, daniel 7 verses 13 and 14 that the kingdom would be given to the one like the son of man uh, came with the clouds to heaven uh, the ancient uh, of heaven to the ancient of days and was brought near to him and there was given him a kingdom glory and dominion this is the very picture of what happened in acts 1 when Jesus ascended into heaven and a cloud received him out of the apostle's sight. In Acts 2, Peter then proclaims Christ is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Rick goes on and says millennialism has Jesus receiving the kingdom as he goes away from the Father. The very opposite of what the scripture says, referencing that, that passage in Daniel 7, that says as he came to him... He
1: was given a kingdom. uh, That's an interesting argument, Rick. I don't know that I've ever heard that explained. Uh, I think it makes sense, and I appreciate that. Actually, when Rick introduces the the prophet Daniel, I think the passage that comes more to mind, Kent, about the timing of the kingdom is in chapter 2 when Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream, don't you think?
3: Yes, in fact, uh he gives a picture, a work picture of a composite image, as we might call it, or a composite beast. And uh, he, he goes and he's explaining to Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was all about, where Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and he saw this beast or monster or this image, whatever, however you wanted to refer to it as being. And it's representative of the kingdoms of the world that existed In the Old Testament time up until the coming of Christ, and of course that last one is uh, pictured as being that of the Roman
1: Empire. So so just for just a minute, for just a minute, because the point I want to make here as we develop this, Kent, is this image that Nebuchadnezzar saw, starting at the head, represented consecutive world empires that would exist. Starting with Nebuchadnezzar's own empire, Babylon, followed by the Medo-Persian Empire, followed by the greek empire under alexander the great followed then by the roman empire but exactly those those are four literal consecutive world empires and and it says uh concerning the kingdom uh the fourth kingdom which was the roman kingdom it says in the days of these kings, in the days of these Roman kings, Daniel two forty four, the God of heaven shall set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So, uh, Daniel two forty four uh, is pretty specific, isn't it, Kent?
3: Very specific. In fact, Daniel chapter two and verse forty four presents an insurmountable problem for premillennialism because number one if the kingdom hasn't been established then that means rome is going to have to become a world power again
1: And, and you know that's what the point i wanted to make ken is actually i have heard some of these folks try to argue that there there is being now or will soon be a restoration of the Roman Empire. I don't know if you picked up on the news in recent years that uh, some of these folks were getting pretty excited about the European Union. Yes. Uh, that, that when the, when all of the European countries came together and they had a a, a a common currency and everything, oh, these people were quite excited because they said that's that's the resurrection of the the Roman Empire.
3: But well, there's another problem, though, Gregs. Uh, The Bible says in verse 44, the days of these kings shall the God of heavens and of kingdom. They're going to have to go back and resurrect a bunch of dead Roman emperors (laughs) to fulfill that.
1: Yeah, because later in the book of Daniel, he goes into some great detail about specific Roman emperors and and the things that they would do in this time period. Uh, But one of the points I wanted to make there was in that chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2 image, those were consecutive literal kingdoms. Exactly. Now, if if we're awaiting some resurrected sort of figurative Roman Empire by way of the European Union or something, that completely breaks the imagery. Because, it does. Because we, we, we've got a, a 2,000 years b- break in, in the chronology plus it would go from describing literal kingdoms to describing some kind of a figurative kingdom. And it, it just destroys the whole imagery.
3: And, you know, it, it destroys premillennialism because premillennialism is based upon a literal interpretation of their views. Yeah, good point. Rather, rather than a spiritual figurative interpretation.
1: Good point. Uh, so this kingdom of the Messiah was to be established in the times of the Roman kings. Well, that clearly indicates it's not now, and it's not in the future. It's already happened, right?
3: Exactly. Yes. Uh,
1: So let's take the last. uh, uh, We'll take these questions a little bit out of order. Is the so Kent? If if that's what was promised, has it happened? Is the kingdom in existence now?
3: I believe it is. In fact, when you look at the scriptures, when you look at the New Testament, there's passages such as Romans, uh, or not Romans, Hebrews chapter twelve and verse twenty-eight where Paul tells those brethren, those Hebrew Christians, they have received the kingdom. And then Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul's talking about all saved people. And he says, we've been translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. And then Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9, John is identified as our brother and companion, not only in tribulation, but also in the kingdom. Yeah. So he's talking about the kingdom existing as an extant institution.
1: Yeah, it's not it's not talking about will be or might be or in the future it could be. It's speaking in in uh, you you mentioned Colossians chapter 1 verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Past tense. It's already happened. Uh, this, it has so uh, again. Clearly, the kingdom was supposed to be established during the time of the Roman kings, and the fact of the matter is, it was that pro- that that prophecy was fulfilled, and it came came to pass in the first century during the time of the Roman kings, and and Paul and John spoke of it as an as a, a kingdom already in existence and and people already citizens in that kingdom.
3: Yes. In fact, you can't, a tomato plant can't exist in a garden that had been planted. We cannot as Christians be born into a body, a saved body relationship that hasn't taken place. Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 refers to it as the church. And you go down one more verse to verse 19 and he refers to the church as being the kingdom. You, people can't get around that.
1: Right. All right. One other part of this, Kent. Did did the Lord did, did did he ever intend to have a physical kingdom? We talked about the fact that in John six, when when he perceived that they might take him and by force making him make him a king, uh, he he sort of disappeared so they couldn't do that. But did he was there ever any intention on his part uh, to have a physical kingdom?
3: Well, there's two passages in John I believe that answers that question. First of all, John chapter eighteen and verse thirty six. Jesus is before Pontius Pilate on trial. And he asked Jesus, he said, art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, yes. But Jesus also points out in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were this world, my servants would fight. And so that tells us the Lord's kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, was not going to be a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. In fact, John chapter 3 Jesus talks about the new birth, and he says in verse 5, except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Obviously, the new birth, becoming a Christian, being saved from one's past sins, uh, has to do with entering the rule and the reign of Christ, which is his kingdom. And John 3 and verse 5 implies it's a spiritual kingdom.
1: Exactly right. You know, uh, back to your reference there in John eighteen thirty six, 36, Mike, Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews? Well, I mean, that's that, that's understood in physical kingdoms. The, the 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 soldiers of the kingdom defend the king in a physical kingdom. And Jesus said, if my if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. In other words, there actually was one who tried to fight. Peter drew his sword to try to defend Jesus in the garden when they came to arrest him. Jesus right. rebuked Peter and wouldn't let him fight on his behalf. Uh, and so, again, the idea that that it was ever intended to be an earthly kingdom is just a false view. And uh, sort of touching on what we said in our introduction, the blasphemous argument that Jesus really intended to do that but wasn't able to, that mortal men could thwart his plans, that's... Uh, I, I, don't, I would be afraid to espouse that view because you're basically saying that God could be defeated by man. And I, I, who could believe it? It undermines
0: his omniscience. He didn't know ahead of time that this was going to happen. He sent Jesus and didn't know that this was going to happen. He's not and, omniscient. And, and 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 he didn't have the power. He's not omnipotent.
1: He couldn't overcome him. Yeah, they,
3: yeah they it, you know, and Jacob makes a very valid point. They're calling God's omnipotence into question. They're calling his omniscience into question, and the omniscience of the Godhead, really. Yeah. And so it just it totally it, it attempts to thwart the entire plan of God.
1: It does. Well, Kent, we got one more segment. If you can stay with us, we're going to talk sure. about this idea of the rapture. Is, is are there going to be really two comings? He's going to come first to take his saints. And and then he'll come back uh, later to set up his kingdom, and and there'll be later be a resurrection of the wicked dead and so forth. Uh, We're going to talk about sort of the, the rapture concept a little more thoroughly when we come back from this break.
0: Rick says, If the kingdom was not in existence in the first century, the Holy Spirit erred in inspiring the Apostle Paul to write the instructions in 1 Corinthians 11 regarding how they were to observe the supper. Jesus had told the apostles... And I appoint unto you a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in, the, in my kingdom. Must we wait until Jesus comes to observe the Lord's oh, Supper? Oh, good point,
1: good point, Rick, that, that Jesus said that the, the supper would be observed in the kingdom. But if the kingdom doesn't exist, why would Paul give instructions as to how the supper should be observed if the kingdom is not even here yet? All right. We're going to take a break and go to the top of the hour. We're back right after this.
2: Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this.
1: Are you sure that the Bible said something, but you just don't know where? Is your salvation based on a passage that you know is in the Bible, but when asked, you couldn't find it? Do you do things in worship, but you couldn't turn to a book, chapter, and verse to show that God wants you to do it? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you may be suffering from BDD, Bible Deficit Disorder, God said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. The College View Church of Christ is dedicated to overcoming Bible deficit disorder in the metro area by teaching the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. You are invited to attend our worship services on Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. Join us in the fight against Bible deficit disorder. Attend one of our services for a healthy dose of the Bible. That's at the College View Church of Christ. Please don't give in to Bible deficit disorder. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study Among those who attend church regularly, the divorce rate is 27 to 50% lower than for non-church goers. Nominal Christians, however, that's those who simply call themselves Christians but do not actively engage, are actually 20% more likely than the general population to get a divorce. That information is via gotquestions.org. The Word of God says in Malachi 2, verse 16, For I hate divorce, says the Lord.
2: Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're
0: back on the program tonight uh, as we go to the top of the hour, talking about the doctrine of premillennialism and looking at how it forces contradictions with very clear statements in the scriptures. Uh, we're going to go to the top of the hour now um, and uh, get to some uh, some more ideas here.
1: Well, Kent, I asked when we sent out our update to... Today I asked, will the Lord return first for his saints and then later return to defeat evil and establish his earthly kingdom? Uh, how would you approach that question, Kent?
3: Well, I would point out that the New Testament does not give any indication at all that there's going to be two second comings and neither does the New Testament indicate that the second coming is going to be divided in two different stages. Uh, in fact, when you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and look what Paul has to say about the final coming of the Lord and compare that with, with 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, you'll find it both are talking about the same thing, the same occurrence. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But then over in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, Paul says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. When you look at verse 7 compare what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, obviously this is the same occurrence. In verse 8 says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his fire, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Now you go back to Acts, the first chapter, where we find that the description of Jesus returning to heaven after his death, his burial and his resurrection, um, verse 10 says, uh, when they were looking steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. The Lord didn't go up to heaven two times. And he's not going to return from heaven two different times.
1: I always say it this way, Kent. There's no indication in any of those statements that the Lord will actually ever set foot on Earth again.
3: That's right. In we'll, fact. we'll meet him in uh, clouds. When you consider Second Peter chapter three, when his coming is announced, the world's going to melt in fervent heat. Yeah, he's not going to be here. And as far as the rapture's concerned, that concept is not even hinted at, much less implied or explicitly taught in the Bible.
1: I like I also like to throw into this discussion, Kent, John chapter five, verse twenty eight. Jesus said The hour is the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good into the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil into the resurrection of damnation. Jesus said that there will be one resurrection of all the dead. It will happen in the same hour. All that are in the graves shall come forth. So we know that, that when he comes, the righteous dead are going to be resurrected. We believe that. First, First Thessalonians 4 certainly gives us that m- message and tells us to be comforted in that truth. But John 5, 28 and 29 says, at the same time, the wicked dead are going to be resurrected too. Premillennialism has the resurrection of the righteous separated from the resurrection of the wicked by a thousand and seven years. Because you got the seven years of the rapture period, and then the thousand year reign on earth, and at the end of that, they believe that, the, the, that there will be final judgment. The wicked will be resurrected to, to meet their final judgment. And so they've got the resurrection of the righteous separated from the resurrection of the wicked by a thousand and seven years when Jesus said it's going to happen in the same hour exactly so the idea again i think this is an important point the idea of the rapture is is a, a is a fabricated notion it's not found anywhere in the new testament it's not taught it's not even implied in fact all all the teaching and even the implication is that it's not going to be that way
3: you know acts chapter 24 is another uh section in the new testament i think you get some very good information on the resurrection in fact it's a it's a general resurrection If you as you already pointed out in acts the 24th chapter yes uh let's see uh let's see if i can find the passage it just come to At my the mind
1: beginning of verse 14 or so uh
3: let's see Yes, but this I confess unto thee, that after they that which worship call heresy, so worship I, the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets, and having hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. Paul puts both of them together.
1: Exactly right. Exactly right. So again... Uh, The theory of premillennialism is off, badly off on the timing of the resurrection. There's just going to be one general resurrection, the righteous and the wicked. And it's not going to be separated in time throughout this millennial reign of Jesus on earth. We're just all but out of time, Kent. Last question. If the Lord's kingdom was postponed due to the Jews' rejection of Jesus... When was that postponement announced, and what are the specifics of the postponement plan, if we could call it that?
3: Well, it wasn't. It was not announced. And the reason it wasn't announced was because it didn't take place. And if if that doctrine, the postponement theory, would be true of necessity, God would have been obligated to tell us it was being postponed. But he didn't. I mean, the reason he didn't is because it wasn't postponed, and so that ought to explain a lot about premillennialism, right there.
1: Yeah, yeah. uh, Again, and I'm, I'm, I just, I don't know a word to use other than the fact I think it's blasphemy. I think the whole theory is a blasphemous theory. But the idea, again, that God couldn't. Pull off his intention. He he just he just didn't have the power to get it done, and and mortal men were able to stop him from accomplishing what he wanted to accomplish. I I don't want to go there. I don't want to hold that view, but the idea that the church then had to be set up as a as a afterthought as a stopgap because because the main plan failed the church had to be thrown in there later Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 says to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord and so the church there is is indicated as that which shows the wisdom of god according to an eternal plan it wasn't a, a it wasn't plan b it was the eternal plan
3: yeah that's true and you know the thing that really gets me premillennialism is just not some accidental misunderstandings people have of the bible it's a flat-out rejection of god's scheme of redemption the whole purpose god had in sending christ to the world how the church fits in as the body of the saved, and how the kingdom is equal to that of the church, and when you start denying these aspects, and when you start rewriting the Bible, uh it's like what both you and Jacob have pointed out, and some of the listeners who've, who've sent some email in, it's really it's blasphemy.
1: I think so too.
3: It's just a bottom line. It's heresy and it's blasphemy.
1: Well, Ken, I know that a lot of uh, a lot of listeners uh, are are interested in this subject, and you've you've done a lot of work on this, uh, and so uh, if. If any listeners want to email me, I'll forward on to you their questions. Uh, you okay. might have, you might have some material that you can, can share with them over email. So be
3: it, glad to get, be, be glad to discuss anything with them. They'd it, like
1: to. Yeah. If you, if you want some of Kent's additional information, he's got several outlines on premillennialism. Send us, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com and we'll get them to Kent. And, and
3: well, this was just a smattering what we talked about tonight. Oh, I yeah. mean, that stuff, it really gets wild.
1: It but, does get wild. And like I said earlier, earlier, Kent, there's almost as many different twists and turns as there are people who teach it.
3: The most radical form of free millennialism is hyper dispensationalism. And they teach that there's a transitional dispensation between the resurrection of Christ and Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. And they'll say that Paul uh, preached one gospel and Peter yeah. preached another gospel and what Peter preached included baptism for the remission of sins but God changed his mind and started saving people by faith only by the yeah. time you get over the conversion yeah. of
1: Paul. Yeah, so that's, that's radical. I've studied with them before. They teach that there was a different gospel preached to the Jews by Peter than than what Paul preached to the Gentiles. It's, yes. It gets way out there. It gets way out there. All right, Kent, thanks so much for joining us on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We appreciate and we appreciate your regular participation with well, you you're our most loyal correspondent when yeah. it comes to uh, well, i get um, a lot
3: go. of good you guys are doing a tremendous job and i we talk to a lot of our members here i'm encouraging every one of our members to listen and participate
0: yeah well, thank you for thanks. all your help with it uh, tonight and, and every thursday night uh, we appreciate your input thanks kent have a good thank night you, you all, have a good evening all right good discussion tonight um uh, Kyle, uh, final thoughts from you tonight. I think it's a very—it's an important study. It's an important topic. It's
2: a very deep topic. Infographics have been made to, to label out all the different dates and timelines. You—it's one seating will not cover premillennialism. So it's a, uh,
1: uh, that's right. There, so, like we said, there's a but, lot of ins and outs for sure. But it's good.
2: You have to have a good knowledge of it to be able to... But I, what I think
1: is good, and, and it's really what we tried to accomplish in a study tonight, if you can knock the foundational blocks out mm-hmm. from underneath it, then it doesn't matter what the higher elements right. of the theory are if you've taken out the foundation it, it's the faulty thing falls. from the start yeah
0: yeah okay good all right dad thanks for your time tonight thanks jacob thank you for being here I hope you benefited from our study and discussion of god's word I hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the virtual bible study in the meantime we encourage you to put god first in your life study his inspired word the bible and live by it every day you'll never regret it